Welcome to the Audio Conference for Pastors. This episode is an archived broadcast with our host, Bobby Gilstrap. Bobby is a former pastor, church starter, director of missions, and now the lead missionary and executive director for the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. Now, let's join Bobby and his guests for this archived edition of the Audio Conference for Pastors. Welcome to our bonus Audio Conference for Pastors on how do you know... Win questions for church planters. My name is Bobby Gilstrap, and I'm the host for today's conference. And today, our conference guest is Gary Irby. Gary, we want to thank you for joining us, and welcome to our audio conference for pastors today. Thank you, Bobby. It's great to be with you. Well, today we want to answer five questions, Gary, and these five questions are pretty simple. How do you know if you have enough time, money, people, momentum, and community community awareness to launch your new church? Uh, basically, we, we want to find out for you, Gary, what's worked for you in your experience. And since you are a strategist and you work coaching and working with other church planters, help us to understand uh, how that's worked. So before we actually answer those five questions, why don't you briefly tell us about your church planting journey, and then we'll jump right into the questions. Well, the, the long version, although I'll keep it short, is that uh, church planting has been uh, part of my life uh for a long time. Actually, my granddad was a church planner. My dad was. Uh, that didn't mean I was going to be, but later in life and in ministry, God gave me a clear call to church planning by telling me that I'd been adding through the church ministry, but it was time to start multiplying. So from that, I uh, went out to plant a church in the Portland area with a team, and then one in Seattle with a team. And then from that ministry, was asked to work with the North American Mission Board and, and the Northwest Convention and our local association to lead church planning in the greater Seattle area. So I've been doing that for about ten and a half years now and uh, during that time we've seen the number of churches in our area about double uh, so where there's about 175 churches or so right now and about half of those are new and about half of those new ones are in languages other than English that is great well I tell you what you have enough breadth and enough experience I think to help new church planters have a, a grasp on what it means to be getting ready uh, and we're using the launch time of a church as kind of uh, our pivot point uh, to look at what needs to be done prior to that. How do you know that these things are in place? So let's just jump right into our questions, Gary, and just ask basically right off the bat, how do you know if you have enough time to be able to launch that new church? Well, the first thing is, you know, determining what kind of church plant we're talking about. And in our area here, as I said, we do a wide variety of church plants. We have kind of many networks within our networks. So we have organic and house churches, and, and they would be going, you know, in one format. And we have some ethnic plants. Sometimes these ethnic churches are in such a small focus group that uh, their their strategy is going to be totally different than maybe something where we're launching in suburbia or even in the fringes of the city. So I guess the questions I give today would focus more on those that are using kind of a launch model. And so with that in mind, the amount of time it takes uh, can vary, and it varies on a number of factors. Um, I'll speak to it in our area. Uh, our soil is very difficult here, and I know everybody thinks theirs is the hardest, but we're we're just in a place where uh, Christianity is often ridiculed, and a lot of times it's worse than that. They they just have no awareness. They're ambivalent. So it takes quite a bit of time to try to soften the soil, to build relationships, uh, to raise interest, and to connect people with uh, what you're doing and sharing the gospel and the vision of the new church. So with that, we it often takes um, 12 to 18 months for us before we have a church uh, where a new church planner has arrived, and it takes that long before he is ready to launch his his uh, grand opening or his 
you know, his starting service, however you want to call that. And um, if they have more money, if they've got more team, um, sometimes we can speed those things up. Other times it, it varies by the area that we're in. We've had some places where if it's there's not a whole lot going on ministry-wise, we're able to launch a bit faster. So there's a number of factors that play into that, but the, I guess the one thing I would say about the time that uh, really encourage church planners to consider is that most church planners want to launch too soon. Uh, we found that um, you know their group starts clamoring for it. Hey, when do we get to be a real church? When do we get to start having services? And if they launch too soon, what they find is that they launch with a small group. They build their, their off that base of the small group um, instead of building off the base of a larger group. Plus, the group can become very ingrown. And so we really try to encourage them to, you know, get this thing as large as you can while maintaining momentum or increasing momentum uh, before you launch. Because the bigger you launch, the bigger you will be. Um, you can even, you know, so those those get to even the next um, kind of thing. If you don't mind me jumping in, I'm going to go ahead and ask my next question. It kind of gets to the, the people there, Bobby, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, on yeah that. let's just tie them together because that's the and, next question. It really that really has a lot to do with the time. So it's it's having an, enough people in that group that you can um, you can make an impact. If you you consider even some of the old things we used to talk about uh, in Sunday school with Flake's formula, and for every uh, every person you have serving or somehow having some even minor role, uh, you could often see four times that many people uh, when you launch out with some large events such as a grand opening. And so if you're doing that with 20 people in your group, you, you, might, you might have hopes of having as many as 80 people there. But if you've got 100 people there already as a part of your core group, your opportunity to launch is much bigger. Um, the most successful church start that we've had in our area to date, um, they had 70 people in their core group started doing uh, a series of preview services where they would have them once a month with full publicity and special guests. And each one of those preview services allowed them to build on the other to where they were having over 200 in those services by creating that momentum and having enough people in their core. When it finally came time for them to launch, uh, they launched with over 450 people. And uh, so that made a huge difference because now even when they settled back in their numbers, they were in the mid to high 300s, meaning they skipped over you know, the different growth barriers of 30 or 70 or 120 or even 200. So they skipped over, you know, like four of the hardest growth barriers for a new church. And so having the time to build that, having enough people there is a huge factor uh, for church planners. And, you know, later on, I'll give you some ideas about how maybe to try to build that core to a, a larger number of people so that you can launch out. I guess I would just say... Um, there are a lot of people out there uh, that are, are trying to do the crowd to the core method, and I think that's that's valid in some locations. Uh, we've just not seen that be effective here. We much more have had to build a core group and continue to see it to grow and then launch out to reach the crowd. So let me ask you this then. As far as the numbers of people, uh, you're saying that's going to vary. It's going to vary. But how do you how do you define how do you identify that you have enough people to be ready yeah. to launch? Are, are you waiting to set a date for launch until you have a certain number of people in place doing certain mm -hmm. things, or do you kind of set a launch date and then work hard to get those people yeah. in place by then? Well, we we will um, set a minimum goal 
and we will even put out there, this is an ideal date, but if we don't reach our milepost or our markers, uh, we will back off of uh, going forward. And so, like, as a minimum, you know, depending on the setting, a minimum, we'd want to have 40 adults. But ideally, in a core, we'd want to have 75 to 100 adults. And we found that that ideal goal is very difficult to reach often in, in our area and maintain the momentum that long. So it's quite often we have 40 or 50 when we're launching uh, instead of 75 or 100. But we really want to try to, to get to that 75 or 100. Um, that's one of the mileposts that we set. The other is related to having enough money. So enough money that you're taking care of your team as well as enough money to do the publicity, rent the facilities, have the equipment, all those kind of things. And then the other milepost for us um, that we put out there is in terms of leadership. Do we have enough key leaders uh, in place? And it's very important that those leaders not only are skilled in their areas, but they're multipliers. So they are already bringing somebody along beside them to multiply that ministry because if this thing takes off, um, our leadership capacity is going to be the most limiting factor. And so those are things that we look at and we use having those things in place to help us identify if we've got the appropriate momentum to go forward. Well, I think using it, you've used the term milepost. Many guys are probably familiar with that. Some may not be, but just identifying those critical things that need to be done for that to happen. And we do the same thing here. We call them mileposts and our benchmarkers uh, in our association in Michigan to say if you're not making it this far, then it's a red flag. There's some red flags that go up we need to, to deal with to know if we need to continue to move forward uh, at, at the pace we're moving uh, to evaluate that. So I think that's great wisdom for somebody who's looking at planting or is early in that planting process as they're moving toward uh, uh, that point of being able to launch. Well, you mentioned money. So let's go ahead and talk about that. How do you know that you have enough money to be able to launch that new church? Well, the first answer is you never have enough. Um, I've never met a church planner that thought he had enough money, uh, even the ones that raised the most. But you really can have an, uh, you know, enough to start. You just won't have as much as everything you've dreamed of. Um, this is probably one of the areas that we're the strongest in and would love to you know, connect with church planners further to try to help them develop in that if that's ever helpful. But we, we are very intentional about raising substantial resources because we found in our area, I'm not saying this is true for everybody, but we found in our area the better resource church plants financially, uh, they get started stronger, they get started faster. And so for a, a church plant in our area to have even one full-time staff on the very minimum end, we raise about $120,000 a year, uh, ideally uh, for anywhere from three to five years. Um, the better resource guys, uh, we raise as much as $350,000 a year for a multiple staff start. And so as you can imagine, that takes a substantial amount of partnerships, um, it takes, you know, their friends and family chipping in. We have churches where we they bring along other churches to help with it. Um, so it's it's really making sure that you have enough for the key components. And one of those is we feel very strongly that, you know, assuming this church planter is doing a launch method and he is to be a full-time planter, we want him resourced strongly enough where he can focus on the church plant and not be worrying about whether or not he can feed his family or pay his mortgage. And for the most part, we've been able to accomplish that. So we, you know, we actually have uh, Christian realtors that work with us that help us find a home in a new growing community where we're going to start the church plant. And we have Christian mortgage brokers that help us determine how much it is going to take for this church planter to live there. 
And so we use that to come up with the salary and housing. Then we go out and figure out the other costs, the cost for rental, the cost for equipment, cost for marketing, and we, we do a substantial amount for uh, outreach and marketing whenever we can and put that together as a budget and share that with our partners and um, you know put some of the responsibility on them to help come up with that. And uh, we've, we've had good success with that. We've had some that really catch a vision for it, and they bring a substantial number of partners with them and share the load so it's not too much of a burden on anyone, even though it, it is something that, that should be a stretch for everyone. So let me ask you this then. Do, do you actually set a dollar amount to say this is enough money for you to launch? or uh, yeah, it's yeah. It usually has more um, with how much you know. Making sure that their ongoing um, you know expenses are covered, as well as having enough um, for their launch budget. So we will we will do like a startup budget, as well as kind of an ongoing operations budget. And there's some people that will want to give to one-time things, and so they're more likely to help you buy equipment. They're more likely to want to give to. Um, your outreach, marketing, those kind of things for your grand opening. And so we will set numbers, but it really varies on the area. I mean, if we're doing a multi-staff start um, church plant where they've raised 350000 a year, they may spend $100,000 on equipment and 50000 on marketing. Well, if you got some guy that, you know, he's trying to make sure he can at least feed his family, he may be spending, you know, 20000 on equipment and 20000 on marketing. Uh, so it, the range really varies. Uh, some will even spend less on marketing. Some will say, I just don't have the money for marketing. Uh, so what we are going to do is we are going to take full advantage of mission teams, and we're going to do a number of things in the community uh, to engage the community much more on a relational servanthood level without being able to do a lot of the mailers and so on uh, and other types of cost marketing. And um, we really ideally want to do both, but sometimes we just don't have those funds. Uh, and we, um, in those situations, we don't want to tell a guy he can never launch, but he needs to make sure that he's got the momentum, that he's got some community awareness. Otherwise, he could open his doors, and it's counterproductive. If you make a grand opening and nobody shows up, you are open. You've, uh, you've kind of blown it. So you need to, you need to make sure that whatever approach it is you are taking to outreach in the community, you have enough resources to do that. Well, let, let's back up to a previous comment you made just a second. I, I realize we're down to only about 15 minutes to, to deal with our last two questions, which are, are critical questions for us too. But talking about the money, talking about people, talking about time, uh, we've been talking more about the kind of an attractional approach where you're going to have a launch service and that kind of a thing. But how does that tie in briefly with when you're working with these churches that are more organic, more the house church type of a, a church, I, I would think the formulas are totally different. Yeah, as, as far as the money, it's much less. I mean, some of ours that are doing organic, we have some that are doing uh, apartment church planning, and so um, you know they they may not get any uh, kind of support for marketing or equipment or anything like that. If you know if they get a couple hundred dollars from us to put on a barbecue in their apartment complex or from someone else, they're ecstatic because that, that just fits more in who they are and the approach they're taking. And they just, they have to have other income. They, you know, they often have other jobs. So they, they uh, realize that it's going to be a longer process for them to get this thing going. And so some of that's having realistic expectations about what's going to happen. You don't take that approach and then think you're going to be running 500 in an area that's as unchurched as Seattle. So um, 
I don't know if that's getting to the uh, the gist of your question there, but it, it would definitely vary for us in, in how we would approach that. Well, and obviously the leadership and all that kind of thing is going to be, be very, very different in that kind of a plant, uh, that kind of a church. Well, let's move on to question number four. How do you know if you have enough momentum to launch your new church? Well, I, I think momentum is often reflected in some of these other things that we've addressed. So, again, we, we would measure those things by how, you know, how many people are there, are we adding people, are new people coming, uh, you know, some of that's awareness of your group to understand that, hey, we want you to bring friends to our, our core group development. We want you to bring them to the small groups we're doing during the week. And so if those things are stagnant, then you probably do not have the momentum. So are you growing is a good question. Uh, so it's 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 really not only first-time guests, but are people coming back? You know, some guys, they will just have a turnstile of first-time guests, but they're not keeping anybody. Uh, nobody's coming back the second time, and that to me is one of the red flags we've been talking about. So how many second-time guests are you having, and how are they connecting with the groups you have? Are those groups incorporating them, and are they growing? Um, that gives you a likelihood as to how much you're going to be able to, to handle it and you're going to be able to uh, encourage it in the future. Um, in addition to that, you've got the issues of having enough leadership. So uh, I will sit down with the group and they say, you know, we're, we have these plans to, to do this outreach. We want to launch with this many people. We feel like we, we're getting some good momentum and having enough people here. But then I ask them questions like, how many of these people can you handle if they all were to come? Uh, do you have enough leaders in place to have enough small groups that you can tie these people into them? Uh, so that, because, we find that in our small groups, that's where body life happens, where community happens, and where we are much able, better able to retain people. Without that, people will come for a while on Sunday morning, but it's almost like they're coming for the show. And if they don't connect in significant relationships in a short period of time, they're just going to go out the back door. So part of momentum is not just uh, not just growing, but having the having the systems in place to handle the momentum when it comes, removing the barriers to that momentum. Um, another issue of, of identifying that momentum are, are just some of the logistics. Are you, do you have the places to allow for growth? What happens if you're, you're like one of the churches I was working with in a college town that they were doing some preview things and uh, they were going to have a preview service and then wait a month and do another one, and you know a couple hundred people showed up the first time and they made had to make the decision on the spot that they were going weekly the next week because they had so much excitement and buzz. Well, they knew ahead of time that if they needed to, they could do that, that they already had the agreement for the place. They already had the leadership in place, the equipment, all the things that they needed where if they had to make that kind of call because God showed up in an exciting way that they could make that choice. And they were able to do that. So, I, you know, I think that's a big part of it is just identifying not only the growth that's happening, but identifying what barriers or bottlenecks might be there and, and getting those things out of the way. And once you do that, uh, you're not causing limits to what, you know, God is doing in your presence. Yeah, momentum is so critical. Uh, it really is. And and being able to assess if that momentum's there prior to launching. But let, let me change the question just a little bit and ask it a little different way. Okay. Relative to momentum. From, from your perspective, and I understand you and I, uh, because of our roles in church planting, we, we look from the outside. So we sometimes see things differently than the planter does from the inside. But 
looking at momentum, what what do you see or what would you potentially see that would motivate you to talk to a planter and a plant and say you need to back off? What, uh, momentum's right. not there. What what are the right. evidences for you? Well, um, there's kind of a fine line between when your group is, there is momentum happening and your group is so excited uh, about going forward that they're just ready for you to do it. That's a positive thing. But sometimes you've got a group that they've not had any growth for a substantial period of time, yet they're just pressing. Well, it would it would really happen if we just started having services. Um, I've had many guys come to me and say, I know what you told us. I've heard the lessons, but I just know that if we just had services and we started doing worship and I started preaching, these people that aren't showing up would start showing up. And that to me is a red flag because I've yet to see that happen. Uh, every time that somebody has attempted that, what instead has happened is that the group has started meeting and you've now uh, met the desires of the core group that just wanted to have worship, and they're content. They're like, okay, we're here. We got a service. We got what I want. And so in many ways, they are done uh, instead of being willing to reach out and, and keep pressing. You've, you've now removed the carrot, so to speak. There's nothing that they are trying to reach out there and strive for um, of reaching those critical mileposts or those markers. Uh, you know, in the, you started off by telling them you had to have so many people in leadership, so many people coming, so much money in the bank, and now you've just taken all that away. Um, you've not only not had momentum, but you probably have killed any chance of obtaining it. And what happens quite often is six months later, the church planner will come back to me and he'll say, you were right, now I've got to try to start over. I've got to try to recreate that momentum. So what we encourage people to do instead of doing something like that is test the waters. If you really think you're ready, and I can't convince you you're not, if you really think you're ready, you need to maybe do a preview service or a sneak peek service. We even have one church that um, they did have a phenomenal worship team. They had a strong speaker. They did have some buzz, but they were still pretty early in the process. So they did a few what they called look-in services uh, where they borrowed some help from other church plants for children's ministry and greeters and things like that. They put on the service, advertised it to the community, and said, if you want to help us become this, uh, come check this out, and if this excites you, then become a part of our core, and then we will move uh, towards launching at a later date. So they actually did a few services in a row, moved back into core group, intentionally that was the plan all along and everybody knew it met together in core group built their core group over the next few months did preview services then went to a grand opening so they created much more momentum and launched much stronger um, that that works if you got a if something strong put out there if you can put out something strong that's going to be reflective of what you're going to be later on then that's not a good way to go so um, I don't think again if that's getting to uh, the basic idea that you're looking for but in in the services where they just want to have service and keep having service, um, that's that's a red flag to me if if they don't already have significant growth and continued growth happening. Yeah, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I, I remember a situation probably seven eight years ago I worked with. They did the very same thing. Uh, went ahead and launched. Uh, ended up being small, and uh, the planter came to me. They probably hadn't been meeting but a month and a half, and uh, running about twenty five or thirty because they just didn't stick with it. 
And uh, he said, I couldn't believe it. This lady came in and she said, you know, I like it just like this is. We don't need new people because uh, she was happy. She was content, yep. you know, yep. and, and that's that's a bad sign. All right, let, let, let's take these last uh, four four or five minutes uh, to let you answer this last question and, and help us. Uh, our question is, how do you know if you have enough community awareness to launch your church? Help us with some of the practical things that help raise that awareness, but then hook it with this is how you know if people know you're there. Because if they don't right. know you're there, they're not going to right. come, obviously. Right. So help right. us with that. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we do a wide variety. We've probably got more than 100 different ways that we've tried to engage the community. And, you know, to kind of categorize, and some have to do with marketing, where we'll do direct mail, door hangers, uh, reverse door hanger projects, ads and, and nickel ad. And we use a lot of electronic avenues these days with Facebook, MySpace, uh, Craigslist, those kinds of things. Um, so there's, those are some ways to get them out that may have some costs. Other ways that we're getting out there is we do quite a bit with servant evangelism. So uh, one of the things about servant evangelism, usually it's much more, most people do the random acts of kindness, and we do a lot of that where we just go out and we figure out something, we find a way to bless each other, bless other people in the community. But where we find it more effective is when we go to the leaders in the schools, the community, uh, wherever it may be, and say, what is it that you need? What is it that you feel this community needs? What are you doing to serve in this community and let us serve alongside you? Um, as we do those things, conversations that open up, you know, because a lot of times they don't have enough volunteers and you say, well, what if we could bring you 15 volunteers? Well, you know, you're it in their mind. That's the greatest thing they've ever heard to find 15 volunteers in one fell swoop. And so they take advantage of those things. Um, we, uh, we've had where, um, one of our church plants intentionally went to the poorest school in town. It was actually a fairly affluent community, but they found one school that was kind of a pocket more of poverty. They picked that school as where they were going to meet, even though it wasn't the nicest, newest building. And the reason they did was they felt like they could find the most opportunities for service. So the church planner went in there. He met with the principal said, how can we serve you? principal said, we're good, we don't need anything. He kept pressing. He said, how can we serve you? How can we serve you? He's like, why, do you, why does it matter so much? He said, well, it's a Bible verse. He said, well, what does it say? It says, we are told that we're supposed to let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. I can either uh, serve you or I'm a preacher. I can preach at you. Which do you want? And the guy said, I, I think I'll take this serve. So they, they came up with ways that this church could go in and serve them. Uh, I, you know, I wish I had time to tell you all the stories, but just amazing things, even taking as far as putting on a carnival to come up with reading books for the classrooms where everybody paid a mission by a reading book and they could win door prizes for reading books. And the kids that went to this got to donate it to the, to this school in their own name, which is a key component of how we do this. We don't just serve the community, we serve with the community. And we find that when we're serving alongside those that don't know Christ, they will ask why we're doing it, and that opens the door for us to share the gospel. And so we've seen that over and over. We do it through a number of festivals. Most of our communities around here have little festivals like Salmon Days or Aquafest or, or you know, the Strawberry Festival, things like that. And quite often we start off by picking up garbage, and that's like all they'll let us do. And over time it grows to where they are relying on us so much that a couple of the cities have actually handed over their festival to the church to run 
and said, you tell us what we need to do to, to help you run it. And it's actually a city festival. And because of that, the church has great awareness in it as opposed to what they would have if they'd just gone out and tried to do their own thing at the festival. Um, so th- so those are some things we're doing. We also do some other things with, with outreach dinners. Um, it, it's not the most glamorous name, but outreach dinners are uh, – they um, have – uh, where we do a number of community events where we um, where we will uh, invite them to a dinner in a nice local restaurant and uh, we pay for the meal and we introduce them to people in our team we share with them about the new church uh, and then as a part of that they also get tickets to attend a Mariners game with us and we set that game for like three weeks later and in between the dinner uh, on one night and the Mariners game, like three weeks later, we have a number of family events and, and small group events and things like that to where over a three-week period of time, you know, we get to spend eight to 12 hours with these people, which normally uh, with someone you don't have a relationship with, it could take you maybe a year to get that much time with somebody. But we do it in three weeks, so we're able to have the beginnings of a relationship. They figure out if they like us or if they don't. Uh, and and quite often we find that our retention for that is very high. We don't have the biggest numbers come to those events. We intentionally don't try to. We usually want, you know, more than 50 to like 300 people to come to those things. But out of that, we um, we find that we often retain at least half of those people. Uh, we had one time where we did that kind of outreach dinner event and had you know, 27 different families show up, and all 27 of those families joined the new church plant. So there's a number of those kind of events that we use to try to create the momentum, to engage in the community. Um, some of the ways that we can test to make sure that they know we're there. Um, some of that is uh, from being out in the community and doing surveys, you know, asking, you know, if they've heard of this church, what their perception is of it. Uh, other times it's asking them more generically, what churches do you know about in the community or what church are you involved with in the community? And we will quite often find that people have already identified us as their church, even though they've never been there. So we know there's some awareness and some readiness to come. Uh, the other thing that we've done is we use preview services. Um, and preview services are not a new concept, but one of the, the ideas of doing a preview service is you can test the waters. If you put out there that you're going to do a grand opening and you're open, you're open whether you had anybody come or not. Uh, the course is already set. But if it's a preview service and not many people show up, you can go, well, this was great. We're going to try it again in six months. So it becomes kind of a little test sample where you can find out if you're really ready to go on or not. Um, and so that, that's probably one of the best uh, tools that we use in our area to kind of figure out if a church plant is ready to, to keep going or if it's time to step back and regroup and, and take another approach at engaging the community. Gary, this is great wisdom and uh, hopefully great encouragement for those who are listening uh, we are out of time, but I want to ask you to do one thing as we close. I want you to give our listeners kind of a final word to encourage them on their church planting journey. Uh, what can you say to, to lift these guys up who are interested? Well, my my word uh, that may seem obvious to a guy who's going out to planting a church, but it's really a word you need to take at a higher level, and that word is multiply. Um, not just think of multiplying in terms of starting one new church, but Everything you do from day one, think in terms of how you're going to multiply it. So who is shadowing you as a leader? Uh, Who is working alongside your current leaders to become the next level of leaders? And 
probably the most important one is when you go out to plant a church, who is on your team who's going to be the first church planter that you're going to send out? So try to try to go uh, with that planner with you so that you, he can be watching you, learning from you, figuring out if he's really called to this. You can assess to find out if he's really got the skills for it so that you can be ready to send him out uh, as soon as he is ready. And churches that do that tend to plant, and they tend to plant regularly. Churches that don't do that, they're like three to five years down the line, and they're like, well, you know, we really, we said we'd plant other churches. We really ought to start talking about it. So think about how you're going to multiply. Have those conversations. Talk in those terms to your group from day one, how you're going to be planting other churches, how you're going to be multiplying in everything you do. What a good word, and I appreciate you doing that. You know, Gary, we thank you for taking your time and sharing your expertise. Our prayer is that God's, uh, what he's done in your life and your ministry is going to be a blessing to others, and they'll be encouraged by your testimony today. Uh, and for our listeners, we ask that you uh, uh, listen for the ideas and encouragements you get from Gary, but also listen in on some of the other recordings that are in this series uh, for church planters uh, to help you know when to launch. For our audio conference ministry, I'm Bobby Gilstrap. We want to thank you for joining us today and hope you'll join us again next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Audio Conference for Pastors. Listen to future episodes by visiting audioconferenceforpastors.com or by subscribing on iTunes. An archive of past episodes is also available. Join us next time as we continue to develop leaders to their God-given capacity on the Audio Conference for Pastors.